Section 28 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter 28. The studio of Messrs. Smite, McHugh, and Whitla in Waverly Place was concerned the following October with a rather picturesque event. Even in the city, the time when the leaves began to yellow and fall brings a sense of melancholy augmented by those preliminaries of winter gray lowry days with scraps of paper straw bits of wood blown about by gusty currents of air through the streets making it almost disagreeable to be abroad the fear of cold and storm and suffering among those who have little was already apparent apparent too was the air of renewed vitality common to those who have spent an idle summer and are anxious to work again shopping and marketing and barter and sales were at high key the art world the social world the manufacturing world the professional worlds of law medicine finance literature were bubbling with a feeling of the necessity to do and achieve the whole city stung by the apprehension of winter had an atmosphere of emprise and energy in this atmosphere with a fairly clear comprehension of the elements which were at work making the color of the life about him was eugene digging away at the task he had set himself since leaving angela he had come to the conclusion that he must complete the jointings for the exhibition which had been running in his mind during the last two years there was no other way for him to make a notable impression he saw that since he had returned, he had gone through various experiences. The experience of having Angela tell him that she was sure there was something wrong with her, an impression sincere enough, but based on an excited and overwrought imagination of evil to follow, and having no foundation in fact. Eugene was as yet, despite his several experiences, not sufficiently informed in such affairs to know. His lack of courage would have delayed him from asking if he had known. In the next place, facing this crisis, he had declared that he would marry her, and because of her distressed condition, he thought he might as well do it now. He had wanted time to do some of the pictures he was working on, to take in a little money for drawing, to find a suitable place to live in. He had looked at various studios in various sections of the city and had found nothing as yet which answered to his taste or his purse anything with a proper light a bath a suitable sleeping room and an inconspicuous chamber which might be turned into a kitchen was difficult to find prices were high ranging from fifty to one hundred and twenty-five and one hundred and fifty a month there were some new studios being erected for the rich loungers and idlers which commanded so he understood three or four thousand dollars a year he wondered if he should ever attain to such magnificence through his art again in taking a studio for angela and himself there was the matter of furniture the studio he had with smite and McHugh was more or less of a camp the workroom was bare of carpets or rugs the two folding beds and the cot which graced their individual chambers were heirlooms from ancient predecessors substantial but shabby 
Beyond various drawings, three easels and a chest of drawers for each, there was no suitable household equipment. A woman came twice a week to clean and send out the linen and make up the beds. To live with Angela required, in his judgment, many and much more significant things. His idea of a studio was some such one as that now occupied by Miriam Finch or Norma Whitmore. There ought to be furniture of a period, old Flemish or colonial, Hepplewhite or Chippendale or Sheraton, such as he saw occasionally knocking about in curio shops and second-hand stores. It could be picked up if he had time. He was satisfied that Angela knew nothing of these things. There ought to be rugs, hangings of tapestry, bits of brass, pewter, copper, old silver, if he could afford it. He had an idea of some day obtaining a figure of the Christ in brass or plaster, hung upon a rough cross of walnut or teak, which could hang or stand in some corner as one might a shrine and place before it two great candlesticks with immense candles smoked and dripping with wax. These lighted in a dark studio, with the outlines of Christ flickering in the shadows behind, would give the desired atmosphere to his studio. Such an equipment as he dreamed of would have cost in the neighborhood of $2,000. Of course, this was not to be thought of at this period. He had no more than that in ready cash. He was writing to Angela about his difficulties in finding a suitable place when he heard of a studio in Washington Square South, which its literary possessor was going to quit for the winter. It was, so he understood, handsomely furnished, and was to be let for the rent of the studio. The owner wanted someone who would take care of it by occupying it for him until he should return the following fall. Eugene hurried round to look at it, and, taken with the location, the appearance of the square from the windows, the beauty of the furnishings, felt that he would like to live here. This would be the way to introduce Angela to New York. This would be the first and proper impression to give her. Here, as in every well-arranged studio, he had yet seen were books, pictures, bits of statuary, implements of copper, and some few of silver. There was a great fishnet dyed green and spangled with small bits of mirror to look like scales, which hung as a veil between the studio proper and an alcove. There was a piano done in black walnut and odd pieces of furniture, Mission, Flemish, Venetian of the 16th century, and English of the 17th, which, despite that diversity, offered a unity of appearance and a harmony of usefulness. There was one bedroom, a bath, and a small partition section which could be used as a kitchen. With a few of his pictures judiciously substituted, he could see a perfect abode here for himself and his wife. The rent was fifty dollars. He decided that he would risk it. Having gone so far as to indicate that he would take it, he was made to feel partially resigned to marriage by the very appearance of this place. He decided he would marry in October. Angela could come to New York or Buffalo. She had never seen Niagara Falls, and they could be married there. She had spoken recently of visiting her brother at West Point then they could come here and settle down. He decided that this must be so, wrote to her to that effect, and vaguely hinted to Smite and McHugh that he might get married shortly. 
this was a great blow to his partners in art for eugene was very popular with them he had the habit with those he liked of jesting constantly look at the look of noble determination on smite's brow this morning he would comment cheerfully on getting up or McHugh, you lazy lout crawl out and earn your living McHugh's nose eyes and ears would be comfortably buried in the folds of a blanket these hack artists eugene would sigh disconsolately there's not much to be made out of them a pile of straw and a couple of boiled potatoes a day is all they need hawk cut it out McHugh would grunt to hell to hell i yell i yell would come from somewhere in the voice of smite if it weren't for me eugene would go on god knows what would become of this place a lot of farmers and fishermen trying to be artists and laundry wagon drivers don't forget that McHugh would add sitting up and rubbing his tousled head for eugene had related some of his experiences don't forget the contribution made by the american steam laundry company to the world of true art collars and cuffs i would have you know is artistic eugene at once declared with mock dignity whereas plows and fish is trash sometimes this kidding would continue for a quarter of an hour at a stretch when some one remarked really brighter than any other would dissolve the whole in laughter work began after breakfast to which they usually sallied forth together and would continue unbroken save for necessary engagements or periods of entertainment lunch and so on until five in the afternoon they had worked together now for a couple of years they had by experience learned of each other's reliability courtesy kindness and liberality criticism was free generous and sincerely intended to be helpful pleasure trips such as walks on gray lowry days or in rain or brilliant sunshine or trips to coney island far rockaway the theaters the art exhibitions the odd and peculiar restaurants of different nationalities were always undertaken in a spirit of joyous camaraderie jesting as to morality their respective abilities their tendencies and characteristics were all taken and given in good part at one time it would be joseph smite who would come in for a united drubbing an excoriation on the part of eugene and McHugh. at another time eugene or McHugh would be the victim the other two joining forces vigorously art literature personalities phases of life philosophy were discussed by turn as with jerry matthews eugene had learned of new things from these men the life of fisher folk and the characteristics of the ocean from joseph smite the nature and spirit of the great west from McHugh. each appeared to have an inexhaustible fund of experiences and reminiscence which refreshed and entertained the trio day by day year in and year out they were at their best strolling through some exhibit or preliminary view of an art collection offered for sale when all their inmost convictions of what was valuable and enduring in art would come to the surface all three were intolerant of reputations as such but were strong for individual merit whether it carried a great name or not they were constantly becoming acquainted with the work of some genius little known here and celebrating his talents 
each to the others. Thus, Monet, Degas, Manet, Ribera, Monticelli, by turns came up for examination and praise. When Eugene then, toward the end of September, announced that he might be leaving them shortly, there was a united wail of opposition. Joseph Smite was working on a sea scene at the time, doing his best to get the proper color harmony between the worm-eaten deck of a Gold Coast trading ship, a half-naked West Coast Negro handling a broken wheel, and a mass of blue-black undulations in the distance which represented the boundless sea. "'Go on,' said Smite, incredulously, for he assumed that Eugene was jesting. There had been a steady stream of letters issuing from somewhere in the West, and delivered here week after week, as there had been for McHugh, but this by now was a commonplace and apparently meant nothing. You marry? What the hell do you want to get married for? A fine specimen you'll make. I'll come around and tell your wife. Sure, returned Eugene, it's true, I may get married. He was amused at Smite's natural assumption that it was a jest. Stow that, called McHugh from his easel. He was working on a country corner picture, a group of farmers before a country post office. You don't want to break up this shack, do you? Both of these men were fond of Eugene. They found him inspiring, helpful, always intensely vigorous, and apparently optimistic. I don't want to break up any shack, but haven't I a right to get married? I vote no, by God, said Smite emphatically. You'll never go out of here with my consent. Peter, are we going to stand for anything like that? We are not, replied McHugh. We'll call out the reserves if he tries any game like that on us. I'll prefer charges against him. Who's the lady, Eugene? I bet I know, suggested Smite. He's been running up the 26th Street pretty regularly. Joseph was thinking of Miriam Finch, to whom Eugene had introduced both him and McHugh. Nothing like that, surely, inquired McHugh, looking over at Eugene to see if it possibly could be so. It's all true, fellas, replied Eugene, as God is my judge. I'm going to leave you soon. You're not really talking seriously, are you, Whitla? inquired Joseph soberly. I am, Joe, said Eugene quietly. He was studying the perspective of his sixteenth New York view. Three engines coming abreast into a great yard of cars. The smoke, the haze, the dingy reds and blues and yellows and greens of kicked-about boxcars were showing with beauty, the vigor and beauty of raw reality. Soon, asked McHugh, equally quietly, he was feeling that touch of pensiveness which comes with a sense of vanishing pleasures. I think sometime in October, very likely, replied Eugene. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry to hear that, put in Smite. He laid down his brush and strolled over to the window. McHugh, less expressive in extremes, worked on meditatively. When did you reach that conclusion, Whitla? he asked after a time. Oh, I've been thinking it over for a long time, Peter, he returned. I really should have married before, if I could have afforded it. I know how things are here, or I wouldn't have sprung this so suddenly. I'll hold up my end of the rent here until you get someone else. To hell with the rent, said Smite. We don't want anyone else, do we, Peter? We didn't have anyone else before. Smite was rubbing his square chin and contemplating his partner 
as if they were facing a catastrophe. "'There's no use talking about that,' said Peter. "'You know we don't care about the rent. Do you mind telling us who you're going to marry? Do we know her?' "'You don't,' returned Eugene. "'She's out in Wisconsin. It's the one who writes the letters. Angela Blue is her name.' "'Well, here's to Angela Blue, by God, I say,' said Smite, recovering his spirits and picking up his paintbrush from his board to hold aloft. "'Here's to Mrs. Eugene Whitla, and may she never reef a sail to a storm or foul an anchor, as they say, up Nova Scotia way.' "'Right, oh,' added McHugh, catching the spirit of Smite's generous attitude. "'Them's my sentiments. "'When do you expect to get married, really, Eugene?' Oh, I haven't fixed the time exactly. About November 1st, I should say. I hope you won't say anything about this, though, either of you. I don't want to go through any explanations. We won't, but it's tough, you old walrus. Why the hell didn't you give us time to think it over? You're a fine jellyfish, you are. He poked him reprimandingly in the ribs. There isn't anyone any more sorry than I am, said Eugene. I hate to leave here, I do. "'But we won't lose track of each other. "'I'll still be around here.' "'Where do you expect to live? "'Here in the city?' asked McHugh, "'still a little gloomy. "'Sure, right here in Washington Square. "'Remember that Dexter studio Weaver was telling about? "'The one on the third floor at 61? "'That's it.' "'You don't say,' exclaimed Smite. "'You're in right. "'How'd you get that?' "'Eugene explained. "'Well, you sure are a lucky man observed McHugh. your wife ought to like that i suppose there'll be a cozy corner for an occasional strolling artist no farmers no seafaring men no artistic hacks nothing declared eugene dramatically you to hell said smite when mrs witla sees us she'll wish she had never come to new york put in eugene she'll wish she had seen us first said McHugh. End of section 28 End of book 1